Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Welcome to Bad Dad, Rad Dad, where we look for better dads one movie at a time. I'm Kylie. I'm Elliot. And we're going to talk about the movies we've watched this week before crowning the baddest dad and raddest dad of them all. As always, dad is an energy, not a gender. And I hit you all with a little good news, bad news right off the top. Good news is that if you're listening to this on the day that this episode drops, it's Kylie's birthday. Yeah. Happy birthday. 33 years old. Yeah. A big 3-3. Three, three. It's a big 3-3. Three, three. Congrats. Uh, bad news. Uh, I, uh, during this recording, I am big sicky poo. If you can't tell from my voice, uh, sound like trash, but, uh, we're gonna, we're gonna stick it out. Yeah. It remains to be seen if we'll be able to make use of the Barbie tickets that we're supposed to be using Honest, as of the release of this recording. Honestly, it's the absolute worst timing to get sick because it's, it's leading into, my vacation it's leading into your birthday into barbie and all these great movie plans that we had i i can't emphasize enough how bummed i am about this we're also taking precautions to try and make sure i'm not sick on my birthday so we are both wearing masks right now if our voices sound a little different than usual that's probably why yeah a lot of elliot sleeping in the other room and us wearing masks as we try to watch movies and tv together it honestly sucks um, like I think what we're doing is a good thing, but I miss you. <laughs> same house, but we miss each other. Yeah, I miss cuddling. I miss sleeping in the same bed. Uh, it sucks ass. I don't think our cat likes it either. He's like, what the hell are these things on your face? Yeah. He's been sweet. Like he's been spending a decent amount of time laying with me and sleeping with me, which I appreciate, but I just rather would not be sick. Yeah, and I'm hoping I don't get sick. Yeah. Well, let's talk about some smackaroonies. We watched a lot this week. We did. Um, let's kick things off. We went to Metro Cinema and saw the 2023 comedy drama You Hurt My Feelings. It was written and directed by Nicole Holof Center, and it stars Julia Louis-Dreyfus as Beth, Tobias Menzies as Dawn, Michaela Watkins as Sarah, 
uh, Arian Moayed as Mark and Owen Teague as Elliot with one L and one T. Super silly way to spell that name. Ooh, efficient. Uh, synopsis. A novelist's longstanding marriage is suddenly upended when she overhears her husband giving his honest reaction to her latest book. What do you think of You Hurt My Feelings? It's really interesting that we watched this as the first film of the week and we watched six movies plus some other things. Mm -hmm. Because looking back at it now, I don't remember it all that much. Mm. And I kind of got that sense when we were watching it that like it was going to be enjoyable while we watched it, but not all that impactful for mm -hmm. me. Yeah. How about you? I enjoyed it. I think I enjoyed it more than you did. It reminded me of, even though I haven't seen uh, uh, many of his films, but he who should not be named Woody Allen reminds me of some of his work. Oh. I've only seen one of his movies and I don't even remember it. Vicky Christina Barcelona. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. Like it gave me, I've, I've seen Annie Hall once, I think, and it gave me Annie Hall vibes a little bit, but I was excited going into this. I mean, I quite like the title of it. Um, I just like the kind of blatant honesty of it. Yeah. And as somebody who goes to therapy regularly and looks for better ways to communicate, just saying the words, you hurt my feelings can be, a really hard thing to say even though it is such a simple thing to say so i quite appreciated that i think the irony of this movie though is nobody is saying that yeah like this is a movie about failures in communication yeah and the uh and it's 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 a funny yet sad look at the white lies that we tell each other uh and the consequences of you know, not deciding not to just cut the shit and get real, man. You know? It has some kind of like cringe comedy light stuff going on. Mm -hmm. um, which isn't always my thing, but I did think that the way that they approach it is kind of sweet and easy. Mm -hmm. Which I liked. Yeah. I was like, you know, mostly going into this, I was excited for something that wasn't too heady. And it was just simple, easily digestible narrative with just some good characters. I quite like Julia Louis-Dreyfus, though I haven't watched many of the things that she's most famous for. You've seen Seinfeld. I've seen Seinfeld, but like I know people love Veep, yeah. and she's probably awesome in that. Maybe one day I'll watch it, but I, I I quite appreciate her brand of humor. And like we laughed quite a bit compared to the other people in our audience, I would say. Yeah. I mean, one thing I really, really, really appreciate about this movie is... Um, like seeing older, like not old, but older folks in relationships and, you know, having sexual desire and um, having not everything together. I think it's important to see narratives that reflect real life for people of all ages. Yeah. Um, and I, I really liked that about it. Like you see the self-esteem issues that her husband has you see her own um what's the word i'm looking for like her own worries about herself and mm. what she's not confident in and then you also see them like loving each other and trying to be good parents and trying to make their way in their careers and you know as somebody who's 33 as of today and edging my way towards 40 <laughs> it's mm. nice to see um narratives that depict people in their 40s 50s yeah i feel like they totally i mean i am not somebody in a relationship in their 40s or 50s but i feel like they nailed the dynamic of a couple who have been together for a long time 
and some of the routines that you fall into and like some of the routines and even the way that you communicate for better or worse. And I found that really genuine and interesting and it kind of, it compelled me through the movie. Um, and yeah, I thought, I thought everybody was, was great in this, but yeah, like I think this movie at the end of the day was a little bit stickier for me than it was for you. Like you said, like stickier, what do you mean? They stick it in my brain a little bit more. Yeah, like even sticky as in like troubling. No, like no, it's just I think that it resonated with me a little bit more than with you, and I think is that, it because I hurt your feelings more? A hundred percent. We should shoot. probably talk about it right now. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, uh, I I liked it, and you know I could totally see me throwing this on on like a Sunday afternoon in like five years if there's nothing <laughs> five I, years. if there's nothing else to watch. I did think Arian Moyed was hilarious yeah i want to see him in more stuff um i yeah i only recognize him as the like the department of disaster management or whatever from the marvel movies like the guy that interrogates them in spider-man no way home oh yeah (laughs) yeah uh now that you say that he definitely is from that half my guys are guys in the chair yeah i quite liked him i thought everybody yeah like i said i thought everybody was on in this in this movie Quite enjoyed it. How did it make you feel? It made me feel light enjoyment. <laughs> nice. Diet diet enjoyment. Diet enjoyment, yeah. Real good. You? Uh contently happy with this easy watch. Oh, let's go somewhere that wasn't an easy watch. <laughs> um we I got a free trial of movie for two months and, and I don't imagine I'm gonna hold on to it afterwards even though it has a handful of films that i do really want to see that aren't available anywhere else but i think if i rent those handful of films it's probably cheaper than keeping a movie subscription it's so funny because i feel like every time we log into movie and look as you scroll through you just get served the same movies yeah over it doesn't seem to have a very again. expansive collection and even some of the things that i do really want to watch on there are elsewhere like, it doesn't seem to have too many exclusives. Mm-hmm. Although this film was on Criterion for a really long time and left at the end of June. Yeah. So I decided to pick Lady Vengeance. It's a 2005 crime drama thriller, part of the Vengeance trilogy. The third part in the Vengeance Yeah, we've not been watching them in order. So we've now seen two of the three. Um, it was directed by Park Chan-wook, uh, written by him as well as Myung Chan Park and Chung Seung-kyung. It stars Lee Young Ah as Gum Jelly, Chua Min Sik as Bak Han Song, and Kwon Yi Young as Jenny. And there's a lot of other people. Like, this is a big cast, but it's a lot of only short moments that they're in the film. Yeah, little vignettes. Yeah, not a lot of other people who are there from beginning to end. Yeah. Synopsis for this one. After being wrongfully imprisoned for 13 years and having her child taken away from her, a woman seeks revenge through increasingly brutal means. I wanted to watch something a little bit fucked up. <laughs> I, I'm i like hit or miss with Park Chan-wook. Like I, I always like his movies. I'm always glad I've seen them. But I'm not always like, oh my goodness, five out of five, like so many people are. Yeah, and I want to so badly be on that train with them. But I do like them. Yeah. Like I haven't disliked a single thing that I've seen by him. I just sometimes haven't understood why it's so loved. Yeah. What did you think of Lady Vengeance? you listen to last week's episode where we talked about kill list and wanted me wanted to watch something <laughs> fucked up lady vengeance lady vengeance is way better than kill list yeah 
Um, this is the first, yeah, to what you were saying, this is the first Park Chan Wook I really, really enjoyed. I agree. Um, it's, I think it's my favorite of his that I've seen. Though I do want to revisit The Handmaiden because we watched that some time ago and it just didn't stick for either of us, but people love that movie. So I'd like to revisit it to see if I can hop on that train. And yeah, we're going out of order of the trilogy, but whatever. The first one being Old Boy, which I think both of us are kind of lukewarm on. It's good, but it's not like amazing. Yeah. I mean, that twist is... Something. Yeah. I, I will say Park Chan-wook knows how to deliver a fucking twist in his movies. Oh my goodness. This movie is... Like, it starts out as one thing. Like, it starts out almost... Like, as orange as the new black, but make it dark. Yeah. And then it turns into something completely different. And honestly, okay, controversial. I'm going to say something controversial. Mm. It has some similar thematic things as Kill Bill. Yep. And I think I like it better. I made the exact same connections in my brain and I 100% agree with you. Like, put this on instead of Kill Bill, honestly. Did it come out the same year? Uh, as Kill Bill Volume 1? That's a great question. Am I looking? I think Kill Bill is um, 2003. 2003 so, Kill Bill's yeah. earlier. But we haven't seen Sympathy for Mr. Vengeance, and that, I think, is the first in the trilogy. And that's 2002. Oh, that's before Old Boy? I think so. Oh. Didn't yeah, I... so Sympathy for Mr. Vengeance is 2002, and then Old Boy is 2003, and then this is 2005. Oh, okay, gotcha. And the one connection is there's two characters in this film... In Lady Vengeance, that are that are there very very briefly, but one of them is our good buddy from uh, Parasite, and they are the main characters in Sympathy for Mr. Vengeance. Gotcha. But I, I don't think it really matters to see them out of order. I really I really love when he pops up. Song Song King Ho, I think his name is. Yeah, he's only in this briefly, but love when he pops up though. In terms of the story. Uh, I mean, I the whole experience of watching the movie was so compelling. I was so drawn in from the very beginning. It uses such clever humor and storytelling throughout in like in a Tarantino-y way. Like it is similar to Kill Bill, but I just think it's the better version of what Kill Bill is. And in is. no way do I think it's like like Park Chan-wook had a style that's in this film that existed before Kill Bill. Yeah, like he... There's no denying that like, love, hate, his films, Park Chan-wook, has, is, he's a master of his craft when it comes to visuals and camera work and how he wants to develop his characters. And the way he develops uh, like the main character, Gum Jai, she's so compelling from the beginning, but there's this mystery around her, this mystery around what her past is, even a mystery about, around like what is the crime that she's been in jail for mm-hmm. and the way he kind of slowly unravels it. And as he's unraveling this mystery, you think you get a sense of where it's going and then it takes a huge swerve. And I'm pretty sure I watched the last half hour with my jaw just dropped. Yeah. Yeah. It Same. It just hits a moment where it's completely gobsmacked. But again, I was just leaning even further in. It was such good storytelling. And Choi Min Sik, who is the lead in Old Boy, he plays he's pretty big nasty in this. But he plays it so well. He's the nasty in um, I Saw the Devil as well. He's really good Ooh. with nasty. <laughs> yeah. He's very, um, 
likable in Old Boy, though. Like, you feel bad for him in Old Boy. So then watching him in those other two films and he's not likable at all. Yeah. One of the things that you and I both wrote in our Letterboxd reviews independently of each other and often, and we hadn't even talked about it together. Mm-hmm. And then I'm like, oh man, it sounds like we just are copying each other. Is that there are two fairly explicit scenes of sexual assault that I personally didn't think were necessary. I have less and less and less of a tolerance for depictions of sexual assault in film where I feel like perhaps I can understand how in this film both of the... Like, it's important for an understanding of those characters for the audience to know that they have been assaulters, but I don't think we necessarily needed to see it. Yeah. Like there's a way where you can imply it without having to put it right on the screen. Um, You know, I think that that's actually done well in Kill Bill. Yes. Where you don't see the assault, but you know that it has happened and is going to happen. And even that I, I struggle with. I think I just have such a, it's just something I don't really want to see and I hate having to think about. Yeah, like um, I, I think I kind of put in my letterboxed review in so many words that if you were to strip those scenes out of the film, the character that it's trying to make deplorable isn't any less deplorable because those scenes would be missing. No. I feel like the groundwork is strong enough and laid well enough that we understand who is bad and who is good and who deserves their comeuppance. But that's the interesting thing about both Old Boy and this, and I'm sure the third in the trilogy is Park Chan-wook is asking, you know, what is the nature of vengeance and what is the ethics of vengeance and the outcome of it? Because I both really wanted Gumjai to get her vengeance, but I also see how she's manipulating everyone around her and hurting other people in the process of her getting her vengeance. Yeah, she's not a flawless hero. No. Now, something interesting is that we watched, there's two versions of this film, which I didn't know. Yeah. Um, and we watched one, which is called the fade to black and white version. I think it's the only version that movie has up. I don't know what Criterion had. Um, where as the film goes on, there's a slow uh, loss of saturation that like just kind of gradually happens until near the end, you're almost completely gray in color, um, which thematically is really powerful. Yeah. And it shows what seeking vengeance does to a person. Yeah. Um, what I like about this is it's not like Johnny Mnemonic in black and white or Logan in black and white is this version and the, the not fade to black and white version both played in theaters in Korea when it first came out. So it's, it is an OG version. Um, and apparently if you watch the original version that, or the other version that doesn't fade, there still is a change in color where the beginning of the film has these quite vibrant primary colors. And as you get closer to the end of the film, both clothing and background environment become either pastel. So like compare a bright red to a pastel red and then also black and white. It's cool. Well, I think it adds so much. I mean, not knowing that there was two different versions and just taking what we were watching as the, only singular version of the film i think that the choice to do that is so emotionally impactful whereas if you just make logan black and white it's just like a stylistic exactly thing. yeah um just to like be cool or whatever 
Yeah, I I was really I didn't even really realize it was happening, but I did subconsciously. Mm-hmm. I don't know. It was really strong. This is by far my favorite of his films that we've seen, and I think it's we've seen is the fifth. Lady Vengeance, Old Boy, Decision to Decision Leave, to the leave Handmaid, and the fourth. Oh no! Don't know either. <laughs> just hit a full stop here um no thirst we've seen thirst oh yeah that's recent too shame on us thirst is probably my second favorite yeah we've seen i agree um i did want to point out that the title in korea is very different from the title in english um the title in south korea directly translates to kind-hearted gumjai <laughs> It is quite um, different. But man, do I want this poster. Yeah. The English poster. Very Oof. specific poster. That is, it's so cool. Yeah, I want it. It would. We have a, a wall of posters with women on them. We have Pearl, Midsommar, and Portrait of a Lady on Fire. And it would just suit that uh, <laughs> women motif we've got going on. <laughs> How did Lady Vengeance make you feel? Gobsmacked and engaged at every turn. How did it make you feel? Same vocab choice alert. Uh-oh. It made me feel absolutely bananas gobsmacked. <laughs> nice. That's fun. What is not fun is our next film that we watched. It was my mystery movie pick, and I picked the 2021 drama Mass. It was written and directed by Fran, Fran Kranz, and it stars Jason Isaac as Jason Isaacs as Jay, Martha Plimpton as Gail, and Doubt as Linda, and Reed Burney as Richard. Synopsis for Mass. Two couples meet for a painful and raw conversation in the aftermath of a violent tragedy. Okay. I've been wanting to watch this movie for quite some time since it came out. Uh, And while I did want to see it, I really didn't know that much about what it was about. But I heard that the performances in it were amazing. That is very true. But before we get to that, what do you think of Mass? So I have known that you have really wanted to see it and I've heard a lot about it being good. But again, I also didn't know a lot about what it was about. This is a tricky thing because I do think it was powerful not knowing what it was about. But for me, the particular subject matter of this film is a really hard thing to watch. Um, So it's one that I might encourage anyone who wants to watch it who as particular content they don't want to watch to to look up what it's actually about we'll avoid saying what it's actually about as we were starting to watch it i, I had an idea mm-hmm. of what i thought this violent tragedy was and then i thought i was wrong as the couples start talking and then it turns out i was right yeah and for the most part despite this being something that like a topic in media that i actively avoid mm-hmm. It was pretty okay for me, except for when they reached a certain point in the conversation where they were getting specific about the violence. And then I was like, yeah, do not like, do not like. Yeah, Uh, I agree. It is. It is a complicated subject matter. And it made for a compelling watch because we didn't know what they were meeting to talk about in the film. So we kind of were throwing our guesses back and forth to each other, which was fun. Fun. <laughs> yeah. Uh, for Take as, that with a grain of salt. For as dark as the subject matter was, 
it's always a bit of a fun movie watching experience when you're like, what is this? When you're trying to unravel the mystery a little bit. And I think that's part of it is this is a film about how we repair. Yeah. And how we work together across difference and across harm to repair. And I think to a certain extent, it doesn't matter what the thing that happened is in terms of the thematics of the film. Of course, it matters to the specifics of the people involved. Um, it's almost, it's always so interesting when we end up watching films that have these connections. It's almost the antithesis of Lady Vengeance, mm-hmm. right? In terms of what do you do when harm has happened? How do you repair? And this is essentially one location with these two couples, these four people just talking. And the performances are phenomenal. Yeah. Like how none of them were nominated for Academy Awards is beyond my understanding. Yeah. Specifically Martha Plimpton and Ann Dowd. Um, I wish we I wish they were in more stuff. Because well because they're amazing. Have to say. This is a good point to say watch the leftovers if you've never seen the leftovers. But also I really, really liked the show Raising Hope when yeah. I was younger. I haven't watched it since I was in my early 20s, so it's possible it's incredibly offensive. (laughs) And it's from the same people who made My Name is Earl, which was one of my favorite TV shows, (laughs) which also very well might be ridiculously offensive. But at one point in time, I really liked Raising Hope, which Martha Plimpton is a main character in. Yeah, I think we watched all of it, too. Yeah. Yep. But yeah, the performances are just electric, and it, it plays out like a stage play. Yes. Uh, The whole film is just these four people talking in a room. And I never felt bored. No. And it's long. It's like a full two hours, I think. Yeah. Which is super impressive. Uh, The fact that this went so unnoticed with the major, more major award shows. Yeah, I agree. It's kind of baffling. I cried a lot. Yeah. You cried a little. I did. I cried a lot. Mm -hmm. Um, Which I like. Yeah. That's a good thing. I don't know if I could watch this movie again. Not because I I think it's astounding, but I just don't think I could watch it again. I'm in the exact same place. You know, I I thought it was so powerful. It was so well acted and crafted, but I'll likely not revisit it as I feel like I've gotten all that I can from it. Yeah. Yeah, and that tends to be the reason to rewatch a film, either to get something new out of it as we change or as the movie adds to itself on a subsequent viewing or just to show someone else. But this is one that I could recommend to someone without wanting to watch the reaction to yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, that kind of thing. One of the funny things about it was the uh, the director, Fran Kranz, that seems like it could be a woman. And I, you know, always trying to watch films <laughs> made by people who don't often get a chance to make films. Um, And then we looked it up and the director is not a woman, but is in fact the stoner from Cabin in the Woods. Amazing. I would never guess that that actor would make this film. Yeah. And this is the only thing that he's written and directed. But I would definitely be interested in what he writes and directs next because really impressive. Yeah. For a uh, feature film debut. Yeah, just the the dialogue that he wrote for this and so much dialogue and getting the performances that he got out of his actors. 
as well as the shots. Yeah, it's extremely well crafted. And I don't think the film, the film is really complicated, like what it's looking at. And it doesn't end with an easy resolution. I think that there's things unresolved, things left lingering, questions for the characters and for the audience. And I, I really respect that. Yeah. It's a great film. But it's intense. Yeah. Emotionally intense. How did it make you feel? It made me feel heavy, sad, and impressed by the performances. You? Nice. Similar. Strongly affected by the story and and incredible performances. We went out to the theater again, and we saw a movie that hasn't been getting a lot of attention, but it played at a film festival that our local theater, Metro, had. Um, that was like a joint film festival about documentaries and queer films, which is interesting. Yeah. But also The Shining was playing at it, so I don't really understand. You know. <laughs> Things happen. Documentary, queer film, what's the first thing that comes to mind? The Shining. The Shining. <laughs> um, and at the time, I saw a trailer for it when we were walk- going to see other movies at Metro. And I was like kind of interested in it, but not interested enough to try and go see it the one time it was playing at that festival. But then a few people I follow on Letterboxd watched it and rated it quite highly. So when they brought it back for a little bit of a longer run, I think they had three shows. I was like, let's go see it. So we went and saw the 2022 drama historical film, Blue Jean. It's directed and written by Georgia Oakley. It stars Rosie McEwen as Jean, Lucy Halliday as Lois, and Carrie Hayes as Viv. Synopsis, in 1988, a closeted teacher is pushed to the brink when a new student threatens to expose her sexuality. What did you think of Blue Jean? Yet another powerful film this week that is grounded by some solid performances. Yeah. I think that, you know, just given what Kylie just read about the synopsis, the exploration and the way that Jean wrestles with her public and private life and what she has to hide or or reveal, all of that grabbed me and just made me feel all of the feelings. And it's all it's all grounded by the performance of Jean. Well, this is the tricky thing for me in watching a film about a high school teacher, because that's my job, mm-hmm. is I both really related to that question about like public versus private persona. And as a teacher trying to find that balance of maintaining your privacy, but also giving students a space to like recognize themselves and connecting with students. And at times I really bristled at things Jean did or said. Totally. But I also have to remind myself that I am not living in 1988. And so we have very different contexts. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think the film, like Mass, really wrestles with the ethics in a way that doesn't reduce the complexity. 100%. And characters make choices that they don't and we don't agree with and they have to speak to that and think about that and move forward with that um i'll tell you a a choice that i do agree with is uh jean's hair color yeah she had a very similar haircut hairstyle to you if you're just like the back of your hair was a little bit more melody yeah but it's blonde yeah jean is a total babe total babe and just made me throughout the whole film well it is an impactful piece has explored (laughs) some very important things about society it made me question dye in my hair blonde maybe 
Just saying. Are you still thinking about that? It's rattling up there. Wow. Yeah. My hairstylist has been trying to get me to dye my hair blonde for a very long time. Maybe I'll go to him and just be like, Kylie won't do it, but I'll do it. (laughs) (laughs) You'd probably like that. Um, That'd be a big change. Neither me nor you have ever had hair that wasn't. I've had, I've had, you've had, you've had frosted tips. I've had mostly blonde hair once before. And you looked like Justin Timberlake. Yeah. What can you do? You know, dyeing your hair in the mid aughts. You got to look like somebody (laughs) and apparently Justin Timberlake. This film was, um, impressive from, impressive from like a historical fiction perspective. I felt like it grounded itself in the eighties and the UK really well. And one thing that was really sad and yet important about it is a lot of the rhetoric in the film and they're speaking to specific political moments and political movements that were happening in Britain in this year. A lot of the rhetoric of these anti-queer groups that are making their way into government, we're seeing almost word for word today. Yeah. I know it's happening in Alberta in these attacks on LGBTQ initiatives, um, like pride crosswalks and other things like that, where the crosswalks are defaced. And then there's been some just really like deflating things happening in small towns around Alberta, but also of course in the States with legislation um, around trans folks and, drag queens and it's just really disheartening to see the linkages between 1988 and now yeah and just reaffirms that we still need to fight Mm -hmm. and we need to see films like this and we need to bolster queer voices and i don't know it was yeah depressing in that way it totally and i think that this film has come out at a very important time with all of this stuff going on and so much of these kinds of things in the rhetoric. Um, but I, I had a similar feeling just, it's, it's very, it's a very big bum out to have so many of the things like there's so many scenes throughout the film where Jean is just in her living room and has the news on, just has her TV on. She isn't necessarily paying attention all the time. She might be like, have fallen asleep to the TV, but it's just, Fox News-esque reporting on shit, and it's so upsetting. That's the thing. It's historical fiction, but if not for the aesthetic and the style, it could be now. Yeah. Yep. Which is very depressing. But I think it was a well-made film, really impressed with Rosie McEwen, and I think it's an important film, and I'd like more people to see it. Yeah. And you know what? It gave me a similar sort of ratcheting tension to varying degrees throughout the film, depending on what we were focusing on in Gene's life as Mass. Mm -hmm. Like, I feel like there was that ratcheting up of tension in Mass um, to a a more pointed degree. But here it's kind of like there's Gene's work life, there's her personal life, uh, her professional life and social life, all of these different things and how she navigates each of them. I thought it was... just really well done. I quite like the direction, the look and the feel of the film. And I, and I also felt, you know, at the end of it, it's, it was such a powerful look at how to be a role model when you struggle with the role that you want to model. Mm-hmm. And that can be 
so challenging, especially if you're facing pressure to be a role model or to be a. And if there's be, consequences to you taking on that role. Yeah. It's a, uh, it's a lot of responsibility to be the guiding voice for somebody, especially a younger person. Yeah. You, as you would know. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I uh, have that responsibility. But even with our nibblings, you know, like I think that I try to conduct myself around our nibblings in a way that they see a good person and I model a good person for them. And I want them to take my thoughts and my attitudes into the world as a model for that they can base their own lives off of or just take even like tidbits of like, I like how he makes popcorn. <laughs> you know, <laughs> whatever good I can model, I'm really proud of that. Yeah. <laughs> Thumbs up. So more people should go see Blue Jean. I think it's a, it's kind of in that Rice Boy Sleeps and Monica where it's like it's such a good movie and yet it doesn't seem to have been able to like get out there as much as I want it to. So if you have a way to watch it, highly recommend How Did Blue Jean Make You Feel? A complex flurry of emotions and reflection. How did it make you feel? Made me feel sad at how much we still have to fight and grateful for depictions of queer life on film. Yeah. Two complex things. I got to have a mystery movie pick. We had a couple nights where we didn't get a chance to watch a movie because we went and saw Death from Above 1979. Yeah. Hmm. Band we've been listening to for 20 years. Made me feel very old. Um, and then it was our good friend Alex's birthday. So we were having a little dinner and board game night. Um, but then... I got to pick a mystery movie pick, and I picked the 2016 horror thriller, The Neon Demon. It was directed by Nicholas Winding Refn and written by him as well as Mary Laws and Polly Stenham. It stars Elle Fanning as Jesse, Jenna Malone as Ruby, Bella Heathcote as Gigi, Abby Leacera, and a surprise, Keanu Reeves. Always happy to add another one of his movies to our oeuvre. He's uh, giving Willem Dafoe a run for his money as our most watched actor of the year. He's a little behind still, but Keanu Reeves as Hank. The synopsis, an aspiring model, Jessie, is new to Los Angeles. However, her beauty and youth, which generate intense fascination and jealousy within the fashion industry, may prove themselves sinister. Not a great synopsis, but, you know, <laughs> is what it is. What do you think of the Neon Demon? <laughs> what did you think of the Neon Demon? I've been actually thinking about this one for a while and wanting to wanting to watch it. It's kind of been a week, and you'll see it again in our next film that we talk about. It's been a week of films by directors that have a style and aesthetic that is firmly theirs. Yes. Uh, between Nicholas Winding Refn, Park Chan-wook, and our next filmmaker. I mean, just talking about Nicholas Winding Refn's stuff that I've seen. Drive is great. We've covered it on the show before. I've seen only God Forgives, but I saw it a long time ago. Don't really remember it, but I just remember same kind of deal in terms of visual and music and stuff like that. And I'll say it off the bat, the thing that I love about his work and I especially love in this movie is like the use of color, glam, and beauty and then setting all of that against this gritty, upsetting detritus of humanity that's on display throughout the film. I feel like he find, he finds and hones in on that balance really well. Uh, also, music is such a huge component of his films that always draws me in. 
I, I think that before anything, that's what I'm the biggest sucker for in his movies is the music choices that he has. Yeah, I mean, he's stylish AF. And, you know, people have talked about his dialogue as something that they don't like because it's kind of this, like, jilted, distanced, very much feels like it was written dialogue. But I think it vibes with, like, the hyper-real aesthetic that he creates. So I, I actually quite like it. This was, it was interesting. It has, people have made a lot of comparisons to Suspiria, like the original 1977 Suspiria. And I, I get that. But I kind of would just rather watch Suspiria. Yeah. Yeah. I get that. Like it was, it was really visually engaging and I was on board with the story and interested in what happened. But about 75% of the movie, I'm not really interested in watching again. Yeah. It's it's well acted, it's gorgeous, but it is fine. It's fine. The last 20 minutes, though. Yeah. That goes for it. And I wrote this in my Letterboxd review, but I enjoyed the last 20 minutes so much that it kind of made me retroactively think I liked the movie more. Yeah. But then when I stopped and thought about it, I was like, no, the movie's, it's fine. Yeah. It's okay. I think, yeah, I think I, I landed there, too. Because, yeah, the the more that I sat with it, post-watch the less compelled i felt to revisit it or even to show it to anybody no like there's too long of a commitment needed to get to the last like balls to the wall 20 minutes yeah like when it decides to go fucked up it goes fucked up and it does it really well but there's other movies that go fucked up that i like the whole movie more they're shorter (laughs) they're shorter indeed interestingly so the movie has this very obvious dedication at the end to live this for live so that's uh reffin's wife and i guess this is one of the only movies of his that she actually likes no (laughs) speaking of you hurt my feelings (laughs) (laughs) um but it didn't always feel like he totally has a pulse on like like it felt like okay this is a story about the fashion industry we already understand yeah. And we already know when he's not really doing anything new with it. He's just doing it in a very stylish way. Yeah. I've seen Next in Fashion. <laughs> I've seen Project I've Runway. I've seen America's Next Top Model. I know. I know what a smize is. Yeah. Um, And I think the thing, too, you kind of touched on it a bit, but all all of his films that I've seen, he his performances that he gets from his actors are very subdued. Yeah. And even when some of the worst things and imaginable are happening on screen, everything is still subdued. Yeah. And I feel like that distances me from the characters a bit more. Like I don't really, I can't really put myself in their shoes as easily because they're kind of just blase about (laughs) some really fucked up shit that's going on. And I do like it as a stylistic choice, but for me, what like gets me into that 4.5 out of 5 to a 5 is that emotional connection I feel with characters. And I don't feel that and haven't felt that with any of his characters that I've seen in his films. This is like such a shitty thing to say, but I wish this movie was made, written and directed by Julia DeCorno, who did Raw and Titan. Mm. It would have been, it would have been so much more rich, I think. Yeah. Like, this is stylish and it has like Refn has something broadly to say 
there's the flesh of something that he's saying, but it is hollow. Yeah. And I feel like you get somebody like DeCarno or like a queer woman, a trans woman making this movie and it's going to be so much messier and more complex and, and therefore more substantial. You know what I think is a good or a decent comparison at least that I think would be better is Knife Plus Heart. Yes. Yeah, like, I like Knife Plus Heart better. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Wasn't excited about this by the end of it. I'm not mad that I've seen it. 100%. I would probably look at some stills from it. <laughs> maybe watch a scene from it on YouTube, but I wouldn't rewatch the whole movie. 100%. How did the Dion... I can't say the title. How did the Neon Demon make you feel? Like leaning in, then pretty quickly leaning out. How make you feel? Made me feel a slowly building interest that left me gagged at the last bit. Gagged? Gagged. Girl, work. <laughs> yes. Okay. Last movie of the week. Metro is doing this really lovely series, and God bless their hearts for doing this. They're they're showing a David Lynch movie every week in July. It's called Land of Lynch. Land of Lynch. Love the alliteration. And they were showing 1986's crime drama mystery, Blue Velvet. Unfortunately, it was the night where I got sick. So we couldn't go, but I still wanted to watch Blue Velvet. So we just watched it at home. It's written and directed by David Lynch, and it stars Kyle MacLachlan, or Kale, as Jeffrey Beaumont, Isabella Rossellini as Dorothy Valens, Laura Dern, or, or Tidbit. Tidbit, as Sandy Williams, and Dennis Hopper as Frank Booth. Synopsis is, the discovery of a severed human ear found in a field leads a young man on an investigation related to a beautiful, mysterious nightclub singer and a group of psychopathic criminals who have kidnapped her child. Okay. What did you think of Blue Velvet? So we've seen Blue Velvet once before. Mm -hmm. And it definitely was a bummer to not get to go see it in the theater. I'm sorry. I don't think it'll be our last opportunity to see it in the theater. And, you know, I wrote about this in my letterbox review when we saw Racerhead. There's pros and cons to both, you know? Mm -hmm. Like, I have no idea what the audience was like last night, but it was a late show. It started at 930. So even if you hadn't been sick, it's a late, it's late. late show. So watching it at home, having, you know, the first time we saw Blue Velvet, I think we were just starting to get into David Lynch. Like we were on our Twin Peaks run and we decided to watch this. And now I think we understand both what Lynch is going for and why we like it a lot more than the first time that we saw this. 100%. I'm still going to say it's not one of my favorites of his. Yeah, it's interesting because I feel like this is a lot of people's favorite. Like yeah. it's it's right up there with Mulholland Drive. I say like Mulholland Drive is probably most people's favorite because even though I don't feel this way, it's like his most accessible in quotes. In some ways, it's really interesting because I'm thinking about this film and why I'm, I'm going to be clear. I really like it. Yeah. It's just not one of my favorites of his for me personally. It's a little bit of a straighter film. Yeah. Like, it's not leaning into surrealism, dream logic. Was that real? Wasn't it real? The psyche, the mm -hmm. way that, like, Eraserhead does, or Mulholland Drive does, or Lost Highway. Instead, it's it's a pretty straightforward, more mafia, like, crime movie, and I'm not super into that. Mm. But then, you know, it's also exploring suburbia versus the dark underbelly 
Um, and then it's got this like sexual transgression element to it, right? Yeah, I can only imagine seeing this when it first came out in 86 and seeing the movie transform from this like idyllic version of the suburbs with the waving firefighters going by on the fire truck and the beautiful roses on the white picket fences. Like it could be Pleasantville. hundred percent. And then all of a sudden there's this severed ear <laughs> and then we start delving into like this really gross, nasty, gritty underworld that exists amidst the suburbs. I feel like that would be just such tonal whiplash seeing this in the theater when it first came out. Yeah, I think that opening scene is masterful. I really, really love it. Oh, yeah. um, the film doesn't quite keep me as grabbed for the remainder of the movie. I think, you know, there's a lot of people who call it a precursor to Twin Peaks. And I like that Twin, Twin Peaks takes some of these elements, but instead of it being about like drugs and kidnapping... It's a murder mystery, which I'm more intrigued by than like a drug trafficking mystery. Yeah. Um, and then, of course, Twin Peaks starts to get into that surrealism, that um, supernatural element where like things are not always as they seem. And there's other forces in this world that we can't explain. And I'm really, really into when Lynch does that. Yeah. Now he it's so strange because it's Racerhead. Elephant Man, Dune, and then this. Yeah. And so he he was, you know, he was going going on a journey. I think this was the first movie, of course, other than Eraserhead, which is his first, and it's it's very indie, where he demanded to have Final Cut. Like, he wouldn't make the movie without Final Cut, probably because of the disaster that was Dune. Um, I have a great quote from him where he said about making this, Quote, after Dune, I was down so far that anything was up. So it was just a euphoria. And when you work with that kind of feeling, you can take chances. You can experiment. Mm -hmm. I really like David Lynch. <laughs> I like him as a person. I've been watching a lot of videos lately. Somebody put a episode from his masterclass and it's all about catching ideas. And I really like how eloquently he talks about finding ideas. And he, and he, he has this quote that he's recycled a few times. He's like, there have been two to three ideas that I have not written down. And I just want to die every time I think about that. Because <laughs> he like lost him. Yeah. He's like, they were, they were probably some of my greatest ideas I've ever had. And they are lost forever. Well, it's, really, it's so interesting because so earlier this week, um, the same night that we saw Blue Jean, we went and saw the documentary Lynch Oz which we decided not to talk about because it's so hyper specific, almost like a academic series of articles Yeah, that I think if you like that kind of thing and you like David Lynch and especially if you like David Lynch and the wizard of Oz, you're going to get something out of it. Yeah. But just broadly to recommend to people, I wouldn't. Um, but Lynch Oz is about like the influence of the wizard of Oz potentially on David Lynch's films. Um, but one of the things that becomes clear when you watch that documentary is that David Lynch won't talk about what his films are about. Mm -hmm. And yet he's very generous with talking about his creative process. Mm -hmm. For Blue Velvet, he's spoken about how there was three things that inspired the movie. So in terms of like catching his ideas that you're speaking about, he said he had a feeling. Kind of all he said, there was a feeling. There was an image and the image was a severed ear. And there was a song and that was the song Blue Velvet. Mm. And those three things kind of swirled in his mind and 
the film came out of it. The other part of it was, so like with Eraserhead, which we talked about last week, um, how a lot of it was inspired by the time he spent living in like a horror part of Philadelphia. I guess when David Lynch was quite young, him and his brother came across a naked, battered woman who was like in a fugue state. Yes. And it really upset him. He, I think he's quoted as saying, I went home and cried and <laughs> I've never forgotten it. <laughs> you know, um, And that imagery obviously makes its way into this film as well. And probably that surreal feeling of, of that, that image in a suburban environment. Yeah. I love that though. Like I love that that was, those were the three links to create what be, eventually became blue velvet. Cause I, I, I kind of regard myself as an idea person. I love sitting down and ideating and brainstorming and coming up with thoughts and ideas and then collaborating with people to execute those things. And I just, more than I enjoy, you know, in my career specifically, lectures or webinars or tutorials on how to design stuff for the actual tangible, hands-on doing things, I appreciate when I can find some really good inspiration for how to find or catch ideas and how to explore ideas and how to take maybe a shit idea and then elaborate on it and make it something good. I find that whole process really interesting and satisfying and exciting. Anyway. Well, that's so for Blue Velvet, I think I really appreciate it on an intellectual level, but there's something about it that doesn't connect with me emotionally the way other parts of Lynch's work have like there are images in Twin Peaks and in his films that have scared the crap out of me just elements and moments in those films that sit with me and swirl within me and that doesn't really happen for me with Blue Velvet like I think I kind of just I watch it and I experience it but it's not really grabbing me and then when I think about what it's about on an intellectual level and this like looking at the dark side of suburbia i i'm really compelled by that and i'm compelled by the imagery he uses and i'm compelled by you know jeffrey's exploration of that i think one of my favorite parts of the film is a moment where jeffrey seems to recognize how he is capable of that darkness and it really upsets him that he is capable of that it's not like it's just a separate world from him but i feel like when lynch explores that capability for darkness and goodness within one person from a surreal and like psyche based perspective i'm a little bit more compelled than when it's like mafia sex yeah and i feel like you kind of said it earlier this walk so tw twin peaks could run yeah it's for me yeah other I, people this is like one of their favorite things ever and, and that, power yeah, to them that's totally cool but i i think that some of the themes at, that resonate the most with me about blue velvet are explored more in depth in a way I find a little bit more accessible in Twin Peaks. I want to um, share here. I agree with that, first of all. Nice. So Lynch has said that this is a film about things that are hidden within a small city and within people. And I think that a lot of his work is about that. I want to tell you what I think this film is about. Are you ready? Yeah. Okay. I think this film is about how good girls want bad boys who want bad girls who want to turn good boys into bad boys. <laughs> yeah. Do you agree? Yeah. Uh, 100% with you on that <laughs> ride. That's good. Yeah. Uh, Dennis Hopper is legitimately terrifying in it. One of the scariest on-screen villains of all time. And he he says the word fuck 
it's something like over 50 times almost every time he's on screen and i guess david lynch wouldn't say that word on set he'd be like the word that's in the script <laughs> or some at least that's how dennis hopper recalls it and he'd be like the guy can write it but he can't say it it's funny which is very cute and sweet yeah you know, like he has some of the most disgusting lines in cinema yeah i think so gross uh but he kills it he's oh, so yeah. good and i mean kyle mclaughlin total babe a lot of his butt in this yeah, and a bit of ding dong. Yeah, I, I don't think I noticed that the first time, or if I had, I forgot. And I was like, whoa, there's some peen. A little peen. Laura Dern, total babe. Yep. I mean, she's got real 80s hair. Yeah. But she's still a, still a cutie. And uh, Isabella Rossellini, total babe. If you haven't watched her green porno series. Oh, man. That takes me right back to the beginning of our relationship. Because I feel like we watched <laughs> a lot of that in the early years of our relationship. So good. I feel like I know her from three things. This movie... Ross having her on his list of people he can celebrities he can have sex with, but then he mucks it up because he laminated the list without her on it because she's international. Yeah. <laughs> um, and her green porno, which is if you haven't heard of it, it's a series she did about the sex lives of bugs where she acts out in kind of puppet esque form the sexual rituals of bugs. Yeah, it's very Sesame Street esque. But about bug sex. Bug sex. It's wild. So good. Yeah, I mean, I don't have too much more to add about Blue Velvet. I think that it is a blend of a more conventional story with sprinkles of the lynchisms I find so compelling. It has that dream aspect that he's so well known for. It has supremely upsetting shit in it. But I love the way that it's crafted at the end of the day. It and he is, was nominated for Best Director at the Oscars. And that's awesome. Um but yeah, I'm with you. This is not one of my favorites. I will continue to revisit it every couple of years, maybe. Hopefully one day in the theater. Yeah. But I'm glad that we revisited it the night that we did. Because I so wanted to. And I'm just, between the Lynch stuff we've been watching and then finally getting our Lynch t-shirts, our Twin Peaks t-shirts from Rucking Fotten. Yeah, I'm, uh, I'm, I was really excited to wear my who killed laura palmer shirt to blue velvet and i'm really sad that didn't happen yeah. um, but you know hopefully if i don't get sick and you're all better wild at heart next week there you go uh i just so desperately want to rewatch twin peaks yeah we got to finish taskmaster and friends <laughs> and then we're on it yeah uh how did blue velvet make you feel delightfully disturbed yeah you dreamily upset <laughs> Uh, delightfully is not a great word, but I don't know. David Lynch's work delights me at the same time that it disturbs me. Yeah. He's got this whimsy that's also horrifying. Yes. Okay, let's talk about dads. Bad dad of the week. I picked Frank Booth. I picked Frank Booth. Yeah, I mean, he's deplorable. He also calls himself daddy. Yeah, so right there. I was reading a bunch of stuff about how you can look at Blue Velvet from like an Oedipal lens where... Like Jeffrey's the kid, Dorothy's the mother, Frank is the father. Anyway, mm. bad dad. <laughs> yeah, just a prime example of a dangerously selfish person with no thought or reflection on their actions. Yeah, absolutely maniacal and despicable. Frank, so Frank Booth, don't, don't be, be our dad. dad. Who's your rad dad? I struggled with this one a little bit. Me too. Um, I ended up going with a 
secondary character. I picked Viv from Blue Jean. She's her girlfriend. Right. Yeah, that's a good pick. Do you want me to talk about why? Please. Um, so Viv I found to be an incredibly confident and like importantly active character who's like fighting for her own visibility and the rights of her and people like her. And yet at the same time, same time she's very empathetic. She has good boundaries where she's kind and she's willing to listen, but she's not going to repeatedly put herself in a position where she's harmed. Um, and yet she's willing to like give second chances and learn and grow and have room for people to make mistakes. I just, I found her to be a really, really impactful character, even in the small bit of time she gets on screen. Yeah. I really like that. Uh, I ended up going up with Gail from mass. Uh, Martha Plimpton's character. I, yeah, I toyed with that. I also toyed with Gumja, but I was like, mm, maybe not. <laughs> yeah. 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 Uh, I, the reason I picked Gail is that I like her journey of reflection and how reflection can lead to the different ways that we can process grief and a willingness, have, her having a willingness to confront her grief and learn more from it just by wanting to get together and have this conversation, I feel is such a massive step forward given the subject matter of what they're talking about. And I find that pretty admirable as not just a person, but as a parent in wanting to find some sort of resolution or find a pathway through your grief. I think that uh, she's a great example of that. I'm going to let you pick. Because I'm sick? Yes. Thanks. I actually, I think I like Viv. Might be tougher to find a photo (laughs) for the graphic, but I like what you said about Viv, and I felt that way about her as well. So, Give Viv a little exposure. She's a a rad dad of a character. Oh, yeah. It's a film really worth seeing. Totally. So Viv, be our dad. dad. Rad wreck of the week. Very topical. Just be responsible when you're sick. <laughs> if you are trying not to get your significant other sick before their birthday in a few days, mask up even when you're in the house, maybe sleep in separate beds, and just be courteous with knowing how to help each other out. Don't go out when you're sick. Don't go out. I'm masking when I go out when I'm like if I go out right now, even though I'm not sick because I know that there's a chance that I have yet to get sick because, you know, there's a period of time where you would have been infectious before we knew that you were sick. All of that stuff that really came to the forefront in 2020, I think we need to not lose those practices regardless of what kind of sick you are. Nobody wants to be sick. So if you're sick, be responsible and try not to get other people sick. Love that. The raddest wreck of them all. (laughs) Don't get other people sick. Don't get other people sick. I'm writing a song. Nice. Thank you all for listening. We drop a new episode every Thursday. You can follow us and slide into our DMs on Instagram or threads at baddad.raddad. You can get a sneak peek of what we've been watching on our individual Letterboxd accounts. Our usernames are in the show notes. And we would absolutely love you forever if you share us with the rad people in your life and drop us a rating, review, or follow on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you're listening from. That's going to do it for this sicky and non-sicky this week. So until next time. I'm Kylie and my dad's dead. I'm Elliot and my dad's a deadbeat. But remember, not all dads have to be bad. 
Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns.